you, you can't really go to college for what we do. And honestly, what you do in your world, in the entertainment world, it's like you had to figure out a path. The Fred Minnick Show is brought to you by 291 Colorado Whiskey, by Heaven Hill Brands, by Michter's, and by Marshall Headphones. Enter Minnick 15 to save 15% at checkout. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Fred Minnick Show. First, I just want to say thank you all so much for the support. As many of you know, last week I was on the Today Show sharing my story about how I came to be, about who I am, and how I became a taster. And I revealed a lot. Uh, I revealed a lot about my time returning home from Iraq. Uh, being a combat veteran, you know, I, I live every single day with, um, you know, with the war demons. And I think most veterans who served uh, do live with those. And I, I very early on in my return, I had to make a decision as to whether or not I want I would allow that those, those war demons to d- dominate me and to dictate who I was. And and um, I decided not to do that. I decided to get into therapy. I decided to um, fight that. I decided to get get the help I needed and learn to cope with it. That doesn't mean like you block and those memories go away. You still have them. Now they just don't make you depressed all the time or get you in a gutter. But anyway, the Today Show did a feature on me and and how um, I use therapy to become who I am today. And I'm here to tell you that if you are facing a trauma, if anything has hit you and you feel like you can't get up, that you have support out there, people do care about you, and you can indeed find a new life, find a new you, find a new way to live this thing we called life through therapy, through the right therapist, through programs. There are ways to get you into uh, a new feeling, a new sense of pride, a new you. And I will tell you right now, it it saved my life. And I found bourbon as a taster through my therapy sessions. Uh, and, and before, you know, I would just say I was a drinker, you know, I'm just kicking it back, having a good old time. But I learned how to taste in general through my therapy sessions. And not that I was drinking a fifth of bourbon in my therapy sessions, but I learned how to taste. And I would le- later, you know, through a process called taste mindfulness, and I would later apply that. Uh, to my life. And look, I'll put a link of the Today Show interview in the um, in the description. I want to thank the Today Show producers. I want to thank Craig Melvin. Uh, just a just want to thank my team for helping this put this together, especially Jacqueline, uh, Rebecca, Olivia. Thank you all so much for putting that together because I will be honest with you. One of the things that has never always came, has not all came back all the way is is the sense of feel like when something good happens to me I don't necessarily feel that and that's why I'm perpetually doing things is that when something happens I'm on to the next thing but this was one this I felt this I felt this and the today show found footage of of my time in Iraq they found footage of me I don't know how where they got this but I looked at that and it's like I remember that kid I remember that guy he was scared for his fucking life Excuse my language. But anyway, um, 
I just want to thank you all for the support uh, that you have given me the past year, uh, the past couple years, and on this podcast. It's just it means the world to me. And you know, this week's guest is is someone who is also open about you know uh, things in her life, and we talk about that. Her name's Kelly Bannon. You know, she's uh, the host of uh, Apple Music Beats Today's Country. That's a radio show. She's also the host of um, of the This Is This Nashville Life, which is very popular, very very popular podcast. And of course, she is a singer songwriter. And you know, I talk a little bit about what my favorite songs of hers, but she's done a lot of Christmas music too. Big fan of Christmas music. And you know, we talk a lot about all that therapy stuff and and like what it means to like you know, think things through and be in the moment. I think this is an important interview. I think it's an important interview and I can't wait for you to hear it. But again, I thank you all so much and everyone who is tuning in. If you don't have a Fred Minnick show sticker, I send these things out for free. I pay for that quarter or whatever a stamp costs these days to put it on there. And I send you a sticker, the Fred Minnick show sticker. It's my way to show you. Thank you. Uh, for all the support you've given me, just hit me up on fredminnick.com, fredminnick.com. I will send you a sticker. And last week, we also hit number one. We became the number one podcast on music interviews on Apple. <laughs> I mean, to tell you what, that is, we'd cracked the top five before, and we've been knocking on that door. But last week, uh, we we pushed through, and you know, we became number one, and um, I feel so honored, feel so blessed. I'm so thankful. I want to give a big shout out to my wife, Jacqueline, and my family, um, my little boys, you know, Julian and uh, Oscar. You know, you all are my everything. And I thank, thank God every day that you're in my life. And I will say that uh, I am so honored to be behind this mic right now, sharing this story and sharing this interview with the great. Uh, Kelly Bannon. Enjoy this interview. But first, a word from our sponsors. People want a great whiskey that isn't like every other whiskey. So nestled in the shadow of Pikes Peak, 291 Colorado whiskey is distilled from grain to barrel to bottle. Exceptional Western whiskey, unlike any other. Passion permeates every sip. Utilizing grains from the Colorado Plains, water collected from Pikes Peak Reservoirs, and finished with Aspen Staves, 291 Colorado Whiskey is an award-winning single-barrel and small-batch whiskey. Hard-made the Colorado way. Our recipe, our stills, independent and always rugged, refined, and rebellious. 291 Colorado Whiskey is proud of its humble roots and excited as we expand to new frontiers. Get your taste of Colorado at 291coloradowhiskey.com. Online orders available or find a bottle near you. Ride it like you stole it. Drink it like you own it. Live fast. Drink responsibly. Hey guys, Jay Cutler. Starting a new podcast called Uncut with Jay Cutler. Most of you know me from the NFL. Some of you have seen me on Instagram. And some of you know me from the reality TV world. Each week I'm taking you along with me as we discuss football, trending topics, and whatever's going on in my life each week. I'm bringing along people that are special in my life. Former teammates, friends, and some new people that I like and respect. That's what you're supposed to do, right? Podcasting? I think I'm doing this right. Can't wait to get started with you. Go subscribe now 
Uncut with Jay Cutler, Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, and Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Michter's Distillery, our passion is making the finest bourbon, rye, and American whiskey possible. When you only produce very small batch and single barrel whiskey as we do, each and every barrel has to be perfect. No detail is too small for our production team. From careful attention to the 18-month or more air-dried wood used in the construction of our barrels, to entering our distillate into the barrel at the costlier or lower barrel entry proof of 103 so that it's smoother, to heat cycling our barrel houses, to our signature filtration protocol, we spare no expense in pursuing our goal of making the greatest American whiskey. And no Michter's gets bottled until our master distiller, Dan McKee, and our master of maturation, Andrea Wilson, say it's just right. Michter's Fort Nelson Distillery in downtown Louisville, Kentucky, is open for tours and tastings. Book your visit on our website and stop by the bar at Fort Nelson for a world-class cocktail. For more information, follow us on social media at Michter's Whiskey, go to michters.com, or visit your favorite bartender. Michter's Distillery. It's all about the whiskey. Heaven Hill Distillery has been lifting America's spirit since 1935. They celebrate American whiskey's rich traditions, guide its evolution, and champion its exciting future. For Heaven Hill, whiskey is more than a profession. It's a personal passion that is poured into every bottle shared with newcomers and aficionados alike. So whether you enjoy the simple pleasure of Evan Williams bottled in bond or savor the uniquely satisfying experience of a rare single-barrel bourbon like Elijah Craig, 18-year-old, you'll find a home at Heaven Hill. If you want to learn more about the craft and techniques of making quality American whiskey, check out educational resources and sign up for their newsletter at heavenhilldistillery.com. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Cheers. And joining the uh, Fred Minnick Show, uh, a host on uh, Apple Radio, as well as a singer-songwriter, Kelly Bannon. How are you doing? Doing all right? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. So... I always like to tell people, you know, my favorite song of theirs, kind of like, you know, I, I love your song, Long Shadow. I, it's one of my, uh, it, uh, before, uh, before your managers and I, you know, connected, it was in one of my like country playlists. So I was really excited when we, uh, when we, when we connected and, um, and so like that, that's, that's one of my favorite songs. That's my favorite song that you've done. But that's one of my favorite songs that's been kind of in like a rotating like uh, country music playlist uh, in the last uh, in the last year. Thank you for telling me that. And that song is funny because it, it didn't have any like there were no assets. There were no videos for it. There were no it was just it was like I think it's the last song on the record. Mm. And it was one of those that it kind of has its own little following uh, of people of a certain stripe, I think. So weirdos um, who wear ascots and drink bourbon for a living. That's it. You got it. That's it. In Woo! fact, I, we do like, like we should do a whole tour thing that's just geared toward ascot wearing bourbon lovers, particularly ones that have done therapy. Cause that's okay. just who I want to hang with. You're going to go, you're going to go bankrupt real fast uh, with that one. Uh, <laughs> 
I mean, it's uh, I can count on my hand like the number of people who actually wear ascots on a regular basis. Like I, uh, so I, you know, I have this whole I do a lot of stuff, and anytime I do like a merch component to what I do, everyone's like, "Oh man, you got to have ascots." I'm like, "Okay." I had um, I'll sell ascots. I'll put them out there, and I'll be in front of like fifty thousand people. T-shirts will sell out. Books will sell out. I'll sell one ascot and 50,000 people. So, Wait, what's the demand. origin story for the ascot? So I always – so as a kid, I, I, I like these like detective movies where um, you know, the, like the people would – they wore these like little patches on their, on their suit jackets and some characters were ascots and like uh, – you know, I just – I just dug those and like they wore them in Dynasty, which my mom always watched, and oh, I just like that style. And it's always it was always my understanding that it was the less it was the it was the lesser of all the neckties, and so meaning less work to do. Like I can tie a tie fine, bow tie, you know, a little bit, but I don't like bow ties and ties. They like strangle me, um, and when I kind of discovered what uh, ascots were, and I could wear them, I'd go to stores like Von Mar, which you know, high, for my for my taste, like high end, uh, high end as they come, and like a mall, and and I would go in there, like ask for an ascot, and they would laugh at me, and it was just like I was like, oh, okay, and I was writing about wine. And, um, you know, at the same time I was writing about bourbon, I was on a trip to uh, Italy with my wife and a bunch of other wine writers. And there was this, like, iconic wine writer. Uh, it was, like, this, this, like, fierce curmudgeon that was always calling out brands. And he, like, hated everybody and everything. And I, like, idolized him. And he wore ascots. Wait, wait it, how do you get work when you do that, though? Uh, you know, you just... If you're just, that guy. You, well, because if you are a critic... It's kind of good to be, you know, a curmudgeon, if you will, because if you you need to, sometimes you need to be harsh uh, in your in your words, and 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 not very often does a, a curmudgeon in writing uh, is personified in the person as well. You know, you know, I will be I will be very critical and often like come off as mean. I don't intend to be mean, uh, but in my criticism of a of a whiskey. But I'll call up a brand and say, "Listen, man, you know, keep at it. You know, don't don't take this. This like, ain't it." Yeah, I was like, "Just don't take this as like I hate you or anything like that." But this guy, like, I'm pretty sure, like, he hated people. And, okay. And we, I meet him, and my wife's with me, and he just starts hitting on my wife. This man is in his seventies, and he's trying to pick up my wife in front of me. And 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 I'm like, you know, trying to have this conversation with him about his career and ascots and everything. He's like, man, yeah, tell me about your wife. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> but anyway, it, you know, he left uh, the trip a little early. And when we got home, there was a package waiting on me. And his uh, his wife um, made me ascots. And he wrote a card. He's like, hey, I know you want to learn more about ascots. Here you go. Or something like that. He's like, and tell your tell your wife I said hi. So I was like, <laughs> so that's that's just you know five minutes of me. I love it. Where I'm supposed to be interviewing you. That's uh, a great that, story. That's my ascot story. 
I love it. I love so how did you get into how did you get into music? Oh gosh, you know i I grew up um, I grew up here in Nashville, and so mm-hmm. um, especially in that time, it was like the guy mowing your yard and your plumber and your babysitter every in in the you know the parents at your school. Everybody was in the music industry. My family wasn't, but everyone around us was. Mm-hmm. And so, um, my uh, my younger brother Grant, um, we were in a carpool, and I'm um, actually here in 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 Tennessee. It's called the hookup, which you know when hookup became what a hookup is now known as. All you know in the 2000s or whatever. But like our carpool, they, it would it'd be called the hookup <laughs> back in I the mean- day. Looking back, um, you know, maybe not the best branding there, but yeah. (laughs) For children. Yeah. But so we were in this carpool and um, in our carpool was one of the, one of the dads was in this band that was really famous, like for playing the Opry that they were called Riders in the Sky. And Mm -hmm. my brother Grant came home one day and he was like, mom, mom, he's like, Jacob's dad is a singing cowboy who does rope tricks dues and she's like what and and like literally it's like even the guy in your in in your carpool is like a famous singer in riders in the sky a singing cowboy and so i don't know there's you know nashville is sort of inescapable um but my family was in business and i thought i would go on to do more practical things or, or make them sort of proud on paper and just could never get away from music could never get could never get it out of my system could never get satisfied um chasing mm. anything else if that makes sense. And did you did you get into like um, what, you, you know? Did you get into DJing first, or did you? Oh gosh, no. <laughs> did, so like um, even in, like in high school, you weren't like uh, saying, "Well, you're listening to ninety five point two, and this is Garth Brooks coming up here." On the track. Oh no! I mean, I'm the least qualified DJ who's employed in America. I just got this gig in the last year. I have no business talking into a microphone for a living. Um, See, I didn't know I, that. I thought oh, I had yeah. thought you had some experience prior to because, I mean, you sound you sound like you got it, like you're legit, like you've been doing it for a minute. You know? No, you know what's funny? the 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 door that opened for me with this gig with Apple was really out of my podcast, which mm-hmm. I um, I started doing not because I thought I was good at like podcasting or being a radio personality. It was just, I am, I think inherently pretty curious and I love storytelling and I, you know, so many people try to get into the music industry and there's really, you, you can't really go to college for what we do. And honestly, what you do in your world, in the entertainment world, it's like you had to figure out a path for what you do. I think music is much the same. Like you don't grow up that there are, there's like a job that you know mm-hmm. about where like you can pitch songs from songwriters to artists. And that's like a whole job. Like mm-hmm. no one knows that that's, you know, so we started this podcast to kind of um, demystify mm-hmm. some of the music business that kind of you only know, you know, through trial and error when you move to town and start doing it. So out of that podcast, um, Apple was looking to sort of tap someone for their first country show. And I think I just, I think they liked the artist perspective. And I think that they liked that, you know, I'm kind of inquisitive and 
you know, it, in some ways I'm probably like a little more buttoned up than like the average country person. And so that's probably like a good fit for Apple too, um, being like very corporate. And so, yeah, but no, I have literally, I'm so unqualified for my job. Just, okay. Well, just making you, it up. You, you definitely, uh, I think, um, have, if they say fake it till you make it, I think you came out, uh, I think you came out showing pretty strongly that you got it. So, Thank um, you. you know, I sent you, I sent you three full bottles I know. of uh, pretty, pretty, pretty good bourbon. I sent you uh, Knob Creek, nine-year-old. This is a, uh, a personal favorite of mine. Big fan of that one. Uh, I sent you uh, Colorado 291 out of Colorado, obviously. Finished this in, uh, I've Aspen never stage. had. Like I've never had two nine. I don't even know this brand. I'm so excited about this. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a different flavor profile. It's going to like be quite a bit different. Now you've got a full bottle of this one here, the Michter's ten year old. Uh, you could say we've um, we might have had a pour or two. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this this bottle's been good to us. It's mm-hmm. it's been it's carried us through a few days. So. I had to fight my husband off with when he's. I had unpacked the box. Mm-hmm. It was sitting on our dining room table. He didn't. He never pays attention to anything that I'm doing. I'm like, I'm sure I told him I was doing this. He's <laughs> like, huh? And then you know, really selective listening. 18 years of marriage, it's gotten progressively bad. And he was like, "What is this, Mictors? What?" And I'm like. Do you listen to nothing? Do you actually listen to nothing that I say? <laughs> so he was super hype about it. Um, of course, you know, I'm, I'm awesome. thrilled. I'm thrilled with what you sent me. I also went into my basement mm-hmm. and pulled out some bottles that we don't usually have out in the house. Oh, okay. Because I'm, and you know, I'm is that what's behind you? There's a couple things behind me that I pulled out. Looks like you have some E.H. Taylor, some High West, some Whistle Pig. Um, I can't, I, I see the, a vermouth there. I know well. And then you got Blanton's of course. Yeah. Most of the bourbon's up or down, honestly, this isn't, but I, the, the, this is the, this is the tornado. Holy shit. You got a bottle of the tornado EH Taylor. Holy crap. You know how much that goes for right now? We've looked it up. (laughs) Yeah. I I think. I think at last, uh, I think I heard it going for like fifteen, twenty thousand dollars recently. So that was that's you know what that's higher than the number. Um, my manager Bruce Kalmick is also a whiskey guy, and this. So my husband's name is Jeff. Fred, he this he probably bought it like whatever year this would have been. First all right. First out. of all, the way you're holding the bottles giving me heart palpitations. Okay. Okay. Tell me. <laughs> tell me what you want me to do. What do you want well, me to do? Well, it's just like you're you're like you're holding it like this, and I can just the if it gets too uneven, I can see it dropping out of your hand and like. Oh no, we're on not going to let that happen. And uh, oh, that's better. Literally. I'm so this is good. back in the day, probably when you know we would buy Willet uh-huh. and and make our old fashions with it. Back. Boy, you know, old days right when it, there. Like back when it was, you know, it was like a, it was nice, but it wasn't like impossible to find. Mm-hmm. And 
So I think Jeff just rolled into a store and they were like, you should buy a bottle of this. It was like in a tornado or something. It might be valuable one day. Yeah. And then like, I don't know what, I don't know how old that bottle is, but what, 10 years ago? Yeah. So, well, no, actually, uh, before that, um, let me get here. I'll give you the exact year. I'll do, do, do E.H. Taylor tornado release. So yeah, that came out. Uh, that came out ten years ago. Yeah, so that's good. Uh, good memory there. But that is definitely the most expensive thing that we have. It's usually that would the be the most. That would be the most expensive thing in most people's houses. And, and I'll say that those bottles go for a lot in like closed auctions and stuff. And that's uh, that's that's gonna be that's that'll pay for a. A year uh, or a semester, at least, of tuition uh, for somebody. So, so one of the things that um, uh, I, I know about you is like you're very passionate about helping um, helping um, uh, people fight addiction, and I think that's uh, an incredible an incredible mission. And um, I, you know, I appreciate you mentioning that you know the therapy part. Obviously, like. Um, I was, I've been, I'm very open about my, um, mental health and the things that, uh, I've done to get where I am. And, and I know you've got a story too, and I just want to kind of like open it up for you a little bit and just kind of, you know, talk about, you know, the journey your family's had and why that's so, uh, so important for you all. You know, and I think I was going to ask you, um, a question that probably ties into some of this. And I think it has to do with like, you know. Um, there's a lot of really beautiful experiences to be had, um, when we slow down and, Mm -hmm. you know, we really smell and we really taste and we, you know, um, we don't rush through things. And so I think there's a lot of healing in my story has come from, um, I think just the knowledge that it is such an incredible gift to be alive. Yeah. And also the understanding that hardship and suffering and um, hard things happening is at, it's just, it's not the exception, actually. It's, it is the human experience. And um, so, yeah, I have, so both of my siblings lost their battles with uh, addiction and different, it sort of played out in different ways. But, um, you know, I think a lot about my younger brother, Grant, and he was sort of, he was this life of the party kind of character. And he was always, I think, um, medicating, masking sort of um, just like a loneliness and some social anxiety. And it took me a long time in my own therapy journey to even realize, like, I have some of that too. And that like not everybody like not everybody you know not everybody's heart races five minutes before an interview mm-hmm. or moments before stepping out on stage or you know the things that were so fraught for me um, in my kind of anxiety journey that like just even learning to name it and then learning you know what to do how to slow down in the moments you know I even I heard your um, Today show spot and I really loved it. And you were talking about the quarter, I think. Yeah, that's right. 
And I, that's a, such a tool. I don't know if this is a tool for, for you for anxiety as much, but it's those grounding tools. You know, if, if I'm nervous before an interview, it's like, okay, I'm going to put my hand on my lap and okay, I can feel the denim under my hands and it's rough and it's a little soft and things that like ground you in the moment are like this bottle and what the glass feels like and, you know, or breathing in and actually smelling like, being in the moment, being in the moment is the antidote to that future worry and to the anxiety for me often. And it's such a practice. I don't know yeah, if that's how and, you, and, you know, I have a, I, I have a, I have a phrase, um, but, and this is not to be, you know, to, to, uh, you know, to get a laugh here, but it, it's, it's a part of the conversation. I have a phrase. It's it's, it's vodka sucks, and there's a there's a lot of historical reasons for it. There's a lot of business practices for it, but there's also like the a large majority of liquor stores. The first people that come into their stores in the morning are people buying like large uh, large amounts of vodka, and they're just drinking it in a parking lot. And like I know that that person. You know, they need that drink. They need that. They need to have that um, because they're, you know, they're battling um, alcoholism. And that is their, that's what they do. And it may not be vodka. It could be something else. But in in bourbon and in like, in wine, it is, it is not about the point of intoxication it's about sipping it it's savoring it i mean if you are with friends you're you're conversate you're having conversations and people it, it's about gatherings and enjoying yourself and it's about that moment and that is what this is to me it's it it is that moment it's it's a moment to share with friends and I've always believed, you know, in my in my battle with my own, you know, war demons, if you will, from Iraq, and, you know, I've always believed that if if people actually learned about what they were were drinking, that we could, and, and they learned to savor it and taste it instead of like, you know, gulp it. That's why I hate things like White Claw. You know, there's no real taste to it. Like it's it's about. If if we could learn to taste and think and know what we're tasting, we could curb a lot of alcohol addiction in this country. Now, I'm the minority in that conversation, and that voice doesn't go very high up in the ladder, even in the you know spirits industry. But um, I just I, I just agree with you so much that the moment if we just stop and think and you know as uh, as Ferdinand learned in the in the great book. Uh, Stop and smell the roses, you know. Or in this case, bourbon. The knob. <laughs> I am so, I mean, I am one. I'm going to have, I'm going to an Enneagram workshop tonight. Okay. Are you into the Enneagram at all? I am not, but now I got to okay. know what's up. What's cool. Well, it's a. It's a kind of personality testing that's mm -hmm. kind of become in vogue. And so there's some girls, we're going to support a friend of ours who's part of this. So I'm like, I'm going to have to Uber to the Enneagram <laughs> workshop tonight. I do encourage Ubering. Uber is like a, a godsend uh, for people in the, in the spirits industry. 
And there is no reason ever why anyone should drive drunk. Never, ever, ever, ever. And it could be it could be an annoyance to pick up your car the next day. But, you know, I mean, we, we have seen uh, too many people get killed by drunken drivers. And just it's just not worth it. For me, it's just there's absolutely no reason to take any risk at all. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to be in a place where I'm gauging, like, if I should or shouldn't be driving, if I, you know, like, I, I just don't ever, I want to, if I've been, if I've had a sip, I just don't need to be, I just don't need to be driving. It's just not worth it. So that's, that's where I am on that. I also um, once failed a field sobriety test completely sober because I was in my CMA gown and my heels. And so they handcuffed me, breathalyzed me, you know, 20 minutes later, of course I passed, but it's also, it's like, you just don't want to put yourself in a position. Like I'm just not interested in putting myself in that position, but wow. Yeah. It was scared. I was so scared and I'm such a rule follower. Um, but yeah, yeah, you, I, yeah, you, you were know. saying you're, you're cut from the corporate cloth. So, um, yeah. Okay. Is it on there? It's on there. Good. That's a good, there you go. I don't, Did I don't like the, the wax sound? that they use. It's uh, you what? I don't like the wax that they use on these. It's very difficult to get off. It is a substantial. Okay. How much would you like me to pour? Uh, you know what? To, to your, you don't have to drink all of it, of course. So just a little okay. bit. So we'll kind of go through the process. Um, to be bourbon, it must be made from predominantly corn. There's a lot of distillation techniques that go into it, but the most important factor from a production standpoint is it has to go into a new charred oak barrel. So when it goes into that barrel, it's as clear as the water from your tap, and it's working every single day in that barrel, in and out of the wood. If you look at that color, I mean, that's a beautiful amber color. When it started its journey nine years ago, it was it was clear. And, you know, the world was a different place nine years ago. So... Uh, this the, is a beautiful color. It really is. And this is this is Knob Creek, nine-year-old. And when you bring it to your nose, bring it, to, smell it with your mouth open. So just put your nose right here, open your mouth a little bit, and kind of go back and forth. And you should be able to smell, smell on both sides of your nostrils. And the reason why you do that is because one nostril will always work better than the other and it's and it is a it's just a it's a good practice to to use both of them like I get sweet notes on my right and like the and the spiciness on the left it's swirled around just kind of enjoy the the legs dripping down there and uh there's really not much you can tell with the legs other than you know maybe the residual oils that are there and uh, it's a it's a little hint too of what distillery it might be and then when you put it on your palate, you want to put a little bit on your tongue, kind of feel it walk back. You want to feel the – you just focus what part of the tongue is it hitting. The sweetness hits the tip of your tongue. The savory like cornbreads, breads, uh, cake doughs, things like that will hit in the middle. And the spices like uh, jalapeno or cinnamon will hit in the back. And bitterness will also be in the middle toward the back and on the sides. So now let us taste. When you taste, Fred, is this a teaspoon? What? How much is the tasting amount in, if for you? Just a little bit, just a drop. And, you know, it's just a habit to pour that much, but um, 
you know, this is this has just got a this this is Knob Creek. First of all, won in 2015. It won uh, best bourbon at the San Francisco World Spirits Competition, where I'm a judge, and this is just one of those classic uh, Jim Beam products. So real rippled with like cornbread, brown sugared honey. Um, it's just it's just a great everyday classic bourbon that everybody can buy. You know, I do think like, um, and this is a really nice bourbon. Like this isn't a, this isn't a cheap seats bourbon, but it's a very accessible bourbon. Don't you think for people? I love, I love that. It's like, I hate when we become so snobby in as connoisseurs of something that Mm -hmm. it's like, you want a newcomer to be able to enjoy like I'm assuming you want them to have the same wonderful sipping experience that you can have with all the added knowledge that you have too. And so I think like what I love about this glass is it feels very accessible. Yeah. And and it it definitely is. And that's the beautiful thing about Knob Creek. Uh, It's a, it's a handful of products that are in most, uh, in most stores and, um, and you know, the price is affordable and we're at a, we're at a place in the, in, in bourbon right now where, people will ignore it because it's only 30 bucks you know so they walk into a store they have two hundred dollars in their pocket and they're just convinced that they have to spend that two hundred dollars uh and the high the more money you spend on on a spirit in their mind they're thinking it's better so they will get something that's actually inferior to this one there's a lot of economics that go into it so like jim beam owns this distillery they make this. They own the whiskey. A lot of those products right now that are two hundred dollars, the that brand had to buy the whiskey from someone like Jim Beam, and through a broker. And in order to make any money, they had to mark it up. And the the consumer base, the intelligent ones or the or the educated ones, know know the game. They know the business. But those who don't just walk right in, boom, buys that two hundred dollar product, goes back home. You know, someone else does it, and it's it's we're we're in the middle of an amazing uh, price increase war uh, in bourbon, and it's fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Well, where do you sit with that? I get, I I get really. So bourbon was always been it was always the accessible everyday person's drink. So while Scotch was kind of coming in and gobbling up all the all of Wall Street, mm-hmm. it was priced outside the line for you know people who were blue collar, um, you know people who were middle uh, middle class and. It was bourbon was was there for them at a very affordable price and at high quality, and now, oh, I guess the sneeze. Oh, bless you! It, it didn't come. You know, it's like I, I felt it coming, and then, and then the sneeze didn't come. Uh, but it um, bourbon is kind of like in that in that moment where it's almost forsaking from a pricing perspective the people who brought them to the dance. And it's very discouraging, but at the same time, in order for bourbon to grow, they have to be able to compete with scotch with, you know, people who have private jets. I hate to put it that way, 
mm-hmm. but it, that in order in order to kind of cover the basis as a spirit, you know, you have to be able to be appealing to plumbers, doctors, and hedge fund managers alike. And Scotch has that. Cognac has that. Uh, bourbon is in some growing pains because bourbon has not been in the demand that it is in now to reach the person who owns a private jet. That's changing, and it's having a ripple-down effect to those of us who have always, you know, been supporting bourbon. So, and I've, I feel fear, like, because I, I, you don't seem like a judgy person, but you are, like, an expert. And so I'm, I'm like, oh, is he going to judge me? I don't know. I, no, I won't judge. Uh-uh. But forever and ever, my, my, like, drink on the road, because I could get it literally anywhere mm-hmm. long before bourbon was so... Was it was always ma- makers, and it might be makers on the rocks, kind of depending on the setting. But it was always makers, and I, you know, I, I mean, that was back in the day when for me makers was felt like an, el- that was like a treat, like right. that was a luxurious bourbon choice for me before I go on stage, celebratory, with the band, um, and forever. I mean, for years it was makers pre-show and then mm-hmm. you know on the road it's it's often now bullet or bullet you know right bullet rye or you know but you know and i still th- you know what i still have so much nostalgia when i pour a glass of makers even you know now that there are so many different kinds of you know flavors and we are a little probably like a little snobbier what we're personally into uh, in, in my family but I don't know. That was, I, you know, and that was a really nice, there was a season in my life where that was a really, it was, it was a splurgy choice. <laughs> to, Listen, to Maker's Mark, Maker's is uh, is such an important brand. It's the brand that brought bourbon back. Um, it was the kind of the red wax and the sea addresses. It, it sold when no other bourbon was selling. It's a, and it's, it's a great everyday pour. Uh, so I think you had great taste there. So rock on. Thank rock you. On. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so let us now go to the one okay. that, uh, you know, made your husband very envious. And we're doing it from a proof perspective. Okay. Take a look at 291 is uh, this. That's going to be 100 to 126 proof. So we're going to go to um, the uh, the Michters, which is 94 proof. Well, hey, here's what I'm going to do. I'm gonna grab some glasses. Oh, you're out. So of, you're I, out of glassware. Absolutely. Well, I just don't want to pour this out. So, I, but I want right. to drink everything from the the Fred Minnick glass. Got it. Got right? it. Right. Right. Or, well, your your call. Your call. Okay. All right. So let's go. Let's go to work on this Michter's here. You've already got it open. No issues opening that one. immediately a little sweeter this is um this is a bit of a this is like uh like a banana and like a caramel you know like banana nut bread like caramel icing on it Ooh. what do you think that finishes for me so differently than it starts. Do you have that experience too? Well, it is a that is always a good sign, right? 
So like it is it is a good sign when something when something finish you know it starts strong and it finishes strong. And you know everybody has a, a unique palate, just like everyone has a different voice, uh, you know, vocals and athletic ability. Your palate is just like that. And so, like, you know your palate. I don't know your palate. I mean, as much as I could try, it's yours. That's not mine. But I uh, I will say that this this on, on the nose, you know, it's, a sol- it's solid. On the palate, it's solid. With the finish is what makes the Michter's 10-year-old so special to me. Uh, mm-hmm. It finishes, like, very long with a gorgeous hint of nutmeg. And it's always there. But this, like, in, in this in this taste profile, there's, like, this banana and, like, this caramel, which sign me up, you know, sign me up for some caramel icing and banana nut bread. And that's what we got here. It's quite tasty. You know, that's funny because Jeff loves McDurs. Would you say that the ban- banana, that that is a characteristic across their line? Or specific uh, it to this is tenure. it is a pretty common note. Uh, it's also a common note at uh, Brown Foreman Products, uh, which makes uh, Old Forester, uh, Woodford Reserve, and Jack Daniels. Uh, it's also a common note with a distillery called Barton, which is uh, the makes 1792 and the Thomas Moore line, and also has a lot of stuff that goes out into bulk to include. Uh, the Costco Kirkwood or Kirkland okay. brand. So, yeah. banana note is a is a unique note that's often caused by the yeast, and um, it's very prevalent in uh, in several of the Michter's products. Okay, that might be one of the reasons Jeff loves it so much. Is he's like he is a banana guy. Oh, I'm kind of yeah. like banana in the right se- 